Welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. I am so excited. We have made it to the 100th episode of Do It For The Gram. I'm super excited. So for this episode, I had this really, really amazing, brilliant idea that came from someone else. So technically, it's not even my idea. So I had an amazing person (laughs) named Elizabeth Worm actually say, how about you become interviewed on your own podcast? Because a lot of people understand the content I give, but they may not know who I am, the things I do, and the different things I do. So they're super interested. So Elizabeth, how you doing? I'm doing great, Milton. (laughs) Thanks for having me again. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here for sure. And we're going to jump in. It is going to be interview style, but laid back like a real cool conversation. Again, welcome to the Do It For The Gram podcast. I'm your guest host today, Elizabeth Worm, interviewing Milton Stewart. As you may not know, Milton Stewart is the founder and host of the Do It For The Gram podcast. So <laughs> just wanted to add that little little uh, the fake intro there. Okay, so Milton, what made you start the Do It For The Gram podcast? Wow. So as a seven, I started listening to podcasts, I don't know how many years ago, but um, probably, I want to say about six, seven years ago, I really started listening to different podcasts. There was this guy named Ray, Ray, I want to say Ray Edwards, but I don't think that's his full name, but he had a podcast and it was about like, you know, writing books or copy content and not getting better. And then it just moved on to like Pat Flynn listen to him for a while. I used to listen to Entree Leadership, like these different podcasts. So I was super interested in actually doing my own podcast. As a seven, I was like, man, this looks exciting to do a podcast, you know. And I joined a group, which is an entrepreneur group in Memphis to help like build your business. And a group of four of us actually started a podcast. And that's how it all started. Because at first I was like, I don't know, you know, you need equipment, you got to connect to where and do what with who, how. And so we started a podcast called Hot Butter Business, and it was all based on uh, a business podcast uh, from budding entrepreneurs. And so we did that for about six or seven episodes before we all kind of like started. We got to a point where it was for two of us, it was like, let's do this seriously, uh, because if we're doing this. I want to actually have some type of like reward from it or for it to grow and to actually be something where two of us, two of us were actually the opposite. So there was two of us like, let's do it. Two of us like, well, I just want to do it for fun. And I was like, that's actually probably going to be a waste of my time because I'm, I was so stretched out, you know, this pre-pandemic. So I'm driving around, you know, 
I do a whole lot of different things with kids. And like this, I was working physically at the school while trying to build a business. And we're meeting up at these random places to record. And like, it's quiet of a room if we could find, right? So I was like, yeah, I think we should stop. We should still meet and do entrepreneurial things, but I don't think we should record and then edit because me and the other person who wanted to really pursue it, we're doing the heavy lifting in that. And that's just a lot of time. So that's what kind of led me to start Do It For The Grand podcast, where I was like, let me try this thing myself. Like I saw how we did it and I was like, I think I can do this. I, I went into actually uh, recording and for the first, I don't know, couple of episodes, I was editing it myself. I was so tired. It is a lot of work and it's not meant for me. <laughs> and I've realized that, you know, but at first, you know, you do your thing, you bootstrap, you do as best as you can. After that, I was like, you know what, I'm I'm actually going to allow someone else who has this gift to actually do the editing. So now I have an amazing podcast editor. Shout out to Nicolay. Um, he's a beast. So that is kind of how I got it started. I've always had a goal of doing it. Like six or seven years ago, I like wrote it down on this piece of paper mm -hmm. that I have in like my office area that I could show you of goals, the things I wanted to do. And it's amazing to see the things that like actually happened from that yeah. sheet randomly working at a place I didn't want to work at. So hot butter business. It sounds like a like a popcorn like popcorn machine of like ideas and entrepreneurship. That's like the image that I get. I mean, it really is. And it's still out there if people want to check it out. It's like seven different episodes. Yeah. Um, and cool. it's just, it's so from the grind from the beginning. Yeah, that's awesome. So today's the 100th episode. So as of seven, how did you keep going and persist in this dream? How did you not let it just become a, a bygone idea and jump onto the next best thing? Really, really, really good question. Because as People know, and especially sevens, when we get excited about something, we can start anything. Like, we'll get excited. We'll get all the equipment. We'll get all the things. But the issue comes is, like, when we're no longer excited, we will drop it like it's like nothing, like easy, right? For me to continue, the thing was, it was kind of twofold. I would say part of it was the inner work I was doing. Because there is a point where the podcast got like, okay, this is no longer exciting. Mm -hmm. And part of me was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this, especially when I was editing it. I was recording and editing it and like going different places with my equipment. I was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Like, I'm just kind of, you know. And before you know it, I started to hear people actually like coming is like wow like this is actually good stuff like I learned like I felt seen you know uh, I really appreciate it and so I was like oh okay I'm making some kind of impact for real you know like because I'm recording in my own little vacuum and just releasing episodes and you don't know the impact it actually has and for you to catch traction to where people would actually be able to hear it and notice it and more people know it it takes time you know like mm -hmm. people give me comments from episodes I made like two years ago you know so so it takes time. And like for a seven, you know, that's not easy to always wait to see the time. So a big part of it was my own personal inner work has helped me to be able to be like continue, push through, keep going. But then also along with that, I've actually been making an impact, which has really helped me. And an additional bonus um, reason is because it actually helps me develop my knowledge uh, of the Enneagram as well to even deeper when I'm yeah. working through it. So I'm like, oh, okay. It's really cool. That's how I've kind of pushed through to, oh my goodness, I've learned so much on this little journey. I promise you that. <laughs> yeah, well, congratulations. That's a big accomplishment. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm curious about you before the Enneagram. So like I heard a rumor that you started your career in finance. Is that true? I did. I started 
So I graduated from uh, Harding University in Arkansas, which is an interesting college for me to go to at the time and even now because of like the different ways that I see life and everything. I graduated with a, a business finance degree from there and I went into working at the bank. And like, just like many college students, I thought I was going to come out making like 70, 80K for some reason. Oh, yeah. So crazy, right? So I worked in the banking sector first uh, and I didn't know the desk jobs because like the applications like online say like you needed to have all these qualifications and you need to have this. And I was like, oh, I don't have those. I guess I'll just have to apply for this teller job. Right. Like this part time teller job while I work a full while I go to grad school as well. So I was like, OK, I'll do that. So I'm working there and my seven is hit me real early when I was working there. I messed around and deposited <laughs> somebody came up there and they had a deposit slip over a bunch of different checks and all those checks were not meant to go to this person. Let me oh, say no. that. Oh, no. And and I was trying to be quick as a seven, not being detailed, right? But like, let me get all these customers, let me get this line down, right? So I'm like, put it in there, push the little machine, zoop, 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 deposit. All right, cool, cool, cool. Next person, next person. A week later, I have to go down to like the big building at, at um the bank I worked at and them folks were in, in, like investigating me, me. I was like, they was like, so do you know this person, you know, or whatever? I was uh, like, no, I don't know them. Like I did do that transaction. That is my mistake. I made a mistake. You know, I was moving too fast. And um, there's a whole conspiracy. Yeah, for real, for real. They were, showing, they were showing me pictures and everything. And I was like, oh no, like it was, it was like, I was being investigated. It was kind of crazy. And I was like, no, I said, I definitely don't know this person. They asked me all these different questions. And I said, I'm not losing my job for anybody. They said, oh, no, we're not talking about losing your job. We're talking about being arrested. I said, oh, no, oh, I shit. definitely don't know this person. Like, I don't play like that. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. So crazy, crazy uh, a time where the seven is definitely alerted me mm. uh, to like, you need to slow down and pay attention. But after that, I did a actually really, really good job. Um, I caught a, a lot of fraud, matter of fact, and made money from it. Because when you wow. catch fraud, you make money from it, which is really good. So that helped me, right, to be yeah. more detailed, to slow yeah. down, to focus. Yeah. And I also, I mean, it just went, it went pretty well after that. It's just, I ran into an issue with the guy who was my boss. Mm -hmm. uh, we butted heads a little bit. So I, I did I did start there. We, we butted heads. I was young, but he also was controlling. And that doesn't work too well. Not for a seven. Not for no, a college grad seven. No, it doesn't. He told me, <laughs> he told me um, I didn't have the money to buy, like, really nice um, shoes. So my feet would hurt, right? Yeah. And I worked oh, yeah. in the drive-through. So like it was like late in the day, and I was like took my shoes off, and I just had I was sitting in my chair doing the tubes in the back, and he was like he came back there and made a scene about it. I was like you need to have your shoes on and this and that and all this type of stuff. I was like, well, my feet hurt, and I'm like I'm doing well with my customers. I'm in the back, like it's not like I'm in mm -hmm. front of people and stuff, mm -hmm. you know. And he tried to make a scene out of it, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> Next day, I brought him the two-week notice. I was like, and uh, here you go. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. finance and banking was the first area. Mm -hmm. A lot yeah. of growth. I was a bank teller for six months right after college. <laughs> yeah, yes. I was I was terrified because I'm also not very detail-oriented, but I was terrified like when my, whenever my drawer would be off like by 30 cents. Ooh, I was like, you ain't lying. how did I do it? How did I do it? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're not lying be looking for them dimes and nickels all over the place oh, be like hold on for like i'll pay you back i promise <laughs> Ooh, like oh gosh ooh. man so when you were a kid what did you want to be when you grew up Ooh, when i was a kid there was 
So I, I did the one of the usual things is I wanted to be like an NBA basketball player. That was one of the first things. I just wanted to be an NBA basketball player. And so when I realized that that dream wasn't going to come true, uh, <laughs> it kind of went to Olympics a little bit because I ran track and I did pretty doggone well in track. But then it started to, as I grew a little bit more, I started to look into like, what would it look like to own a business or do something really creative? It was all these different things as a seven. So I never landed hardcore on anything. And that's what made it difficult, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out what I want to do. I remember when I was 17, my mom asked me, she said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to help people. And she just was like, she laughed and was like, oh my goodness, how in the world are we going to actually, like, that's a broad category. How do we work <laughs> on choosing something, helping people? Um, and so the best part about it is that I've ended up in that place yeah. where, like, my job, my my business, my career is all based on helping people, you know, overcome their own thing. So right. I think that's basically where, yeah, what I want it to be. Even though it's broad, the broad skills actually can translate to so many different industries. And so you oh, can yeah. find fulfillment and satisfaction and not necessarily pigeonhole yourself into one kind of job, but you can, like, like you said, you, you work with kids, you work with adults, you do some education stuff. So what is a, what does a typical day look like for you? Or do you have a typical day? Ooh, I, I would not say I have a typical day, but... A day for me looks like one of the things is always like I've I've developed hardcore morning routines and mm-hmm. evening routines because if not, my ego structure of seven will do its own thing. Mm-hmm. I will not have control of my day. A big part of what I do is I, I wake up. So I have my own little special, very specific routine, but I'm not going to say every, every single thing. But <laughs> what I do, <laughs> what I do is I wake up, I used to scroll I used to get. I used to wake up, scroll on my phone, look at Instagram and all this type of in the news, which would make me all anxiety ridden, stressed out, and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I substituted that habit with actually reading something spiritual in the morning. Mm-hmm. So now, like on my phone, I I look like I might open the Bible app, and they may have like mm-hmm. an IG scroll thing where you can see stuff. And so I'll mm-hmm. look at something like that real quick. Then what I'll do is like on the usual days, school days, I call my mentees up. Um, in the morning and I would check on them five minute kind of check in because first of all, they're tired. Um, and so they really don't have much in the tank to be talking to me about. And they're, they're like entering like the teen tweens years. So it's kind of like, it's like, all right, cool. All right. Bye. It's like reveal a whole lot. Right. Yeah. It's like, It's like, I'm trying to become my own person, so I'm not really going to talk to you that much. But guess yeah. what? When I get in real a whole lot of trouble, then you'll be the first person I call. <laughs> so that's fine. I'm learning that myself, right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. they're developing. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. But I call them. Usually every day I have something specific that I, I talk to them about. Who are you thankful for? What is something you're thankful for? And then like, cool. Or I give them a riddle, right? Something like that. Cool. Uh, just to just to get them going, and then I, you know, kind of motivate them. Have a good day. Do what you're supposed to do. Take a deep breath. If you get upset, you know, focus. Ask a question. Don't be scared. So all these type yeah. of little things, yeah, on a consistent basis, especially during the pandemic. Then after that, I do me some, uh, I do me some qigong. My morning routine. I do qigong every morning. And for people who are like, what in the world is qigong? It's kind of like tai chi, okay. but it's but it's not exactly tai chi. So what that does, it's breathing and body motion together. 
And what that does, it helps me to kind of quench my anxiety that I wake mm-hmm. up with, ready to pop off and do something and jump into doing stuff. Mm-hmm. It helps me to stay balanced, breathe, come back to the present moment. And that does so much for me. And then I try to, this doesn't happen every day, but I try to do like either 20 minutes of just pure sitting and thinking mm-hmm. and breathing mm-hmm. and or um, a form of meditation. So like I try to get those in because that really helps me to <laughs> get to a point where now I am walking and living from my essence and not from my ego. Yeah. And so that helps me a lot. Then after that, there's no telling what I may have for that day to go. <laughs> um, lunch is usually always at the same time. I usually always self-present like it's a big deal. So make sure I eat. I also drink lemon water in the morning, have a okay. water bottle. I squeeze a little lemon in it because it gives you that boost without any down, any like side effects that aren't good for you. So, yeah. yeah so that is hitting the routines is probably the thing that's super typical, but everything else definitely, I just kind of, after that, I'm able to listen to my body and listen to like, and look at my schedule and see what I need to do so that I honor my body, my mind and my emotions that day. That's usually how I operate. Yeah. Cool. What a great start. A good, a good challenge, I think, for us to try to figure out what, uh, what mindfulness activities are helpful and relate and help us, you know, ground ourselves in the morning. That's, that's really good, especially as a seven recognizing that you wake up with some anxiety and that impulsiveness to go do something to quell the anxiety. Um, and then finding something that engages both your, your body and your mind and that breath work. And you said it's Qigong. Qigong, and it's Q-I-G-O-N-G, but some okay. people spell it okay. C-H-I-G-O-N-G. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask um, if you engage in any kind of like contemplative practices on a regular basis. So it sounds like morning and potentially probably evening routine you probably have. Yeah, at night, yeah. nighttime, have a very specific like candlelight warmer thingy, but it's like oh, a light yeah. I turn on in this corner. And it like, I turn all the other lights down and just set to my mind for like, all right, it's entering that time, right? Yeah. Um, And then I stretch. I make Mm -hmm. sure I stretch because we sit or stand and use our legs so much, especially our legs that we don't often stretch like we need to. And it has been a game changer in my sleep patterns. But then also being able to get me back in my body. So, you know, the day may have went crazy. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I might get stuck in my head and all these thoughts and all this stuff and I was like, all right, sit your butt down and stretch. Okay, cool. <laughs> kind of how yeah. I talk to myself a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. So how did you discover the Enneagram? So I was kicking it at a church devotional at um, our young adult at the time minister's house. And it was like a Sunday night. We were kicking back, eating food, you know, just like, I was totally self-present myself, had no clue what the Enneagram ever was. Mm-hmm. And he comes in, he's like, hey, y'all want to try this personality test thing? And I'm like, let's get it. I love personality <laughs> tests, right? So I'm over here, like, you know, that he's giving like the, um, he has the, the wisdom of the Enneagram, Big Blue, uh, yeah. Russ mm-hmm. Hudson, Don Rizzo book. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right. So he's like going through ABC or XYZ. And um, he says this and it comes out to like, I'm a seven. And so he like he's going through and reading the first couple of paragraphs for everyone and what you typed as and like, does it sound like you? Does it seem like yeah. you? Yeah. And uh he read the seven in the first at the very beginning. I was like, 
yeah, this sounds great. This is so me. This is what's up. Yes, yeah, seven all day, right? But then, like, you get to like the third paragraph, and then it says all the stuff that people don't see about you mm-hmm. and uh, that actually be going on, and you feel like kind of like a little bit like embarrassed. Not embarrassed because, yeah, right. Because it's kind of like these people don't know this about me, but this book do. I feel really <laughs> awkward. I'm gonna try to look normal, but I feel really awkward right now. Yeah. So I'm trying to like position myself in ways of like, okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I can I can see that when it's calling me out all day. And so I think one of the things is for me, especially me, I've always wanted to grow and develop and be better. It's just always been a part of me. And so when something can call me out in a way that is like very truthful and honest, I immediately, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it a whole lot. So that's kind of Enneagram found me. After that, I've been like, my goodness, just glued to finding it. Went out, bought a whole lot of books as usual. Mm-hmm. Mistyped a whole lot of people as usual. <laughs> uh, I was like, I bet you're this number. <laughs> totally wrong. Totally wrong. Having no clue what the Enneagram really was and how to really embody it. So, mm-hmm. but I, 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 that was how it found me at a church devotional, kicking back, chilling. Were you like in high school, college, post-college? Oh, good point. Uh, it was like mid-college, probably okay. freshman or sophomore okay. college. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's when it was. So did you kind of, like you said, you bought a bunch of books. Did you jump into learning about your type right away? Or was it kind of like a slow, gradual discovery? You know how we, you know how sevens do it. Like when we yeah. get excited about something, we go all in. So I mm-hmm. went all in uh, learning more and more about my type, reading all these different books and gaining this different knowledge and finding these different teachers. And when I was first learning about it, there wasn't like, there's been a proliferation and explosion of Enneagram resources. Whether they are really good or not is a whole nother question, but it's a whole bunch of stuff out there now. When I was first learning, oh my goodness, it was not that much stuff. Like, it, it really was. I think there was literally like two, maybe three podcasts about the Enneagram out there. Right. Like, podcasts uh, were new, probably. Yeah. So, I was yeah. like, uh, this is interesting. So, yeah, I dove into those things, too, that really helped me to kind of like develop my Enneagram repertoire. Yeah. So what was your impression of the other types? Like when you, when you learned about the other types, were there any, Oh, my family member is this or like, you know, like, or, or you um, automatically, you know, knew that you were attracted to hanging out with a certain type or um, you automatically, you started to find that you have a hard time relating to other types. Like what was, what was that like? Yeah, I think the people who are the closest to me were the ones I was trying to figure out the most mm-hmm. um, that I got excited about. And it was like, oh, you know, what type are you? What type are you? And um, that's the point where I was mistyping people a whole bunch because <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure it out without understanding the deeper roots of it, just looking yeah. at the external behaviors. And so I had mistyped my mom for being an eight and she's a five only because I saw her in a meeting. Like, oh. because she was holding down the meeting, right? My college roommates, I had like a session, barely know anything about the Enneagram. I had a session. I was like, we're going to take this test and we're going to figure out your Enneagram types, right? Mm-hmm. I miss typing eights. I miss typing, no, sexual sixes as an eight. I miss typing. Mm-hmm. Like, so like all over the place, right? Um, what it did help me to do is start to look, it started to help me to start to look at patterns, to start to pick it up, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that is definitely one thing. And what's so interesting I got into it with a college professor, mm. go figure, who was a one, um, mm-hmm. who was very rigid in the way that he did things. Mm-hmm. And 
Oh my goodness, there's an email transaction that I'll have to share with you one day <laughs> that is, it's hilarious to see the one and the seven, just the <laughs> types all in the words, all in the words, all in the words. And so it's so interesting uh, to see that. So there was like, when it came to anyone who was strict or stringent, yeah. more or less, those were the personalities I sh- definitely struggled with the hardest. Can't, can't impose on a seven's freedom. It's not going to last long. <laughs> not going to do you well. <laughs> Is there um is there anything about the type seven that you don't really relate to? It's interesting. As I do more and more deeper work, I start to find that all of those components of the seven just about have been really a part of me at some time, if not, you know, still working through. Cause there was, I remember at the very beginning, I didn't understand I didn't understand how I related to um funny, uh, being shallow. That was the very first one that I was like, shallow. I'm not shallow. I'm a loving person. I'm good. And I see this happen with quite a few different types on different parts of their like number when they're like, oh, no, I'm not like that. And it's like, well, actually, realization you are. And it's not necessarily shallow always in the main connotation of the way that we take the word in. Right. Right. Because it sounds Uh, like you're pretty intellectual diving in deep to books and, you know, all sorts of ideas. Right. So. What did right. that end up meaning for you? It was it was shallow in the way that I would um, be in relationships, shallow in the way that I moved from thing to thing so quickly without really putting my stamp in it, or even organizations, shallow in my participation in organizations. It's mm-hmm. like you in 30 organizations, but you're not you're not going deep really in any of them. Like you're okay. late to almost every meeting, but you're there, right? You provide excitement, you're fun, but you're not going deep in doing the work. So that's where shallowness started. To, I started to see different components of it. It's because we stretch ourselves so thin that we end up, we have no choice but to be shallow if you're going to be in everything. You cannot go deep in everything, right. aka limitations, which sevens have to work on, mm-hmm. um, understanding them. So like those, that was one of the biggest things is the whole um, the shallow piece. It's like, oh, dang, I think I actually may have quite a few components of shallowness uh, within me. Wow. Yeah. I think that's really great insight because I think any, any type can find, you know, a, a buzzword and be like, Oh no, I'm not that, that I'm not, that's not me. But as you, like you said, you go deeper into the inner work. Well, maybe it doesn't mean that you don't learn things deeply, or maybe it doesn't mean that you don't think deeply. Right. doesn't mean that you're, um, uh, I just keep thinking of the character from Mean Girls, one of the one of Regina <laughs> George's friends, the um, Amanda Seyfried character. Is it yeah. Karen? Karen from Mean Girls, maybe? She's just like so like kind of spacey, you know, like that's yeah. what I would think of like shallow. But, you know, when you're talking about shallow and being engaged in 30 organizations and spread really thin, right? It's not, it's not that your capacity for wisdom or knowledge is 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 shallow but the way that you are choosing to spread yourself means that your capacity is going to be shallow yeah no that's yeah. that's a great example and one more is it took me a quite a while to realize um what rationalization was mm-hmm. because that was one that I, I promise you i really didn't think i had it um <laughs> I, I, and being i was like i was reading about it and i was like no, I don't think so. I don't think I do that. Mm-mm. You know, like legitimately, it was totally out of my my awareness. And I kept thinking, and I was, um, I told the story on the, the defense mechanism when I realized I rationalized and how my whole past may be totally different from reality. So there are components that people will find that you find about yourself. You're like, oh, dang, 
I do that? Oh, dang. That's crazy. So, yeah. 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 That was, I think, me with uh, pride, like tooth and pride. I'm like, what do you mean? I do everything for everybody, right? I'm the most giving person in this building. I'm the most humble person. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't until I realized um, I was reading Brennan Manning and he was talking about being poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. And having getting to the point where you have nothing left to give. As a two, I often feel empty um, because I've spent all my energy. And so getting to that point of I have nothing left to give and therefore I need. Um, and I recognize my needs and realizing that was that was true humility. Right. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, shit. I'm real prideful. <laughs> 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 so um I'm curious if, so first impression, so, you know, you've done a lot of work around, you know, your ego structure and your personality and, you know, your soul, soul work, but first impressions, let's talk about that. Um, are there, is there anything that people get wrong about you? If they just meet you like one time and they make some assumptions. Ooh, I think growing up, I know it was the, the whole, like, and sevens get really like really pissed off about this, about people not taking them seriously because they come in with jokes and laughter and making everybody laugh. And here's the thing, when you come in that way, that's all people know, you know, like unless they're like more perceptive, they've done their own work and they can kind of see past it. Like I've had that happen in my past. Something that has really helped me is like, because that bothers me so much, that especially in the past that I shifted to coming into places seriously, very serious, yeah, yeah. and then bringing in the comedy and the jokes, right? And so, because I can turn that part of me on really quickly, and I think especially as being like a black male and being in different circles of where I've seen people who think like, "Oh, this black guy," and then I mess them up and say something extremely intellectual, and they're like, "What?" Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that is kind of a a standpoint of like the way I may have been perceived differently nowadays. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more reserved when I come in different places, even though I have this abundance of energy because I am reading the room. I'm reading people. I'm, I'm way more aware of my own ego and what's happening. And then there's a certain point where I don't care that much in the sense, not that like, you know, like I don't care what nobody thinks, not that type of, but like, Mm -hmm. There is a part of me that is okay with someone's off perception of me who do mm-hmm. not know me yet. And that over time, if this person was to get to know me, they would know more fully of who I really am. So I think those components kind of reside within me uh, for sure. So, yeah, th- those are the things I think I'm definitely can be misunderstood, uh, especially as a black man. How does being a black man intersect with the type seven personality structure? Yeah, so I, I think... There's multiple things. I think part of it helps in situations because of that. The light happiness of a Mm -hmm. seven can Mm -hmm. kind of disarm people, can charm and disarm people. Like I teach my mentees before we go into like, well, when we were going into like different restaurants and stores and stuff. When you first come in, smile. And because to disarm the people who may like see you as a threat automatically, like, oh, my goodness. Black yeah. people, black children. Oh my goodness! You know, um, to to smile, to disarm. But that for me, that's natural, right? To that's an ego structure, natural thing to come in and be like, 
let me lighten up this room, let me smile, you know, right ever. But, you know, this is something also I had to learn in different spaces where I may not come in feeling that way. So that is a part of it. I think the intersection of it really lends to to helping in situations because that is what I gravitate towards is that part. And that part of me generally is not necessarily scary uh, mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> unfortunately, right? <laughs> so I would say that's a part of it. And then too, what what also helps and there's a blend of this. I think this is an advantage or a privilege of the seven is that not only can I think quick on my feet and make people laugh, but um, I have the ability to communicate something that needs to be said in a indirect way that's effective. Yeah, I think that people sometimes think the only way to get a message across is direct and to be effective, which is not true. You need to know how to use the both of them and balance them, you know, yeah. because there's indirect ways without triggering someone's defense mechanisms and their egos and their triggers to get the message across, right? So yeah. that it's actually effective, you know, because I could blunt out and say it, but it would get a defense and then who knows what else will happen after that. Mm-hmm. But the key is to be effective. And so I think as a seven, the beautiful part of it is that I can be indirect at times on purpose and still get the message across to be cool. effective. Cool. Now that, that is really true. I was watching it. Uh, one season, it only lasted for one season. It was on Netflix, but it was kind of like a show where the world was going to end and the type seven was the intellectual who figured that out in the physics or whatever. And he was trying to get everybody <laughs> like get on board with the world was going to end. And anyway, no one was taking him seriously and he was really mad about it. So he was kind of just living his best life and doing all these things on his bucket list. Um, it's really, it's a cute, it's a cute show. It's called No Tomorrow. <laughs> but there is one scene where, you know, they're trying to figure out how do we get this message across? The world's going to end unless we really start whatever the plan was to fix the ending of the world. And so there's this scene where he ends up speaking to this crowd of people And it's really inspiring for them. And like, he's trying to inspire people to live more purposefully and live more intentionally. Like if, if, if you only knew that you had a hundred days left to live, like how would you spend it? You know, instead of like scaring people or trying to be like the conspiracy theorist that no one's listening to, you know, he ended up being really inspiring and causing some cool change. And so he was able to frame it in a way and speak some truth to the situation but in a way that inspired people to actually listen and it didn't scare them off. It just, you know, caused them to take, to, to consider new things. So yeah. So that it just, what you said just reminded me of that, that clip. <laughs> That's cool. So if the world's ever ending, Milton, I'm going to call you on to have, have people um, listen to how you would tell everyone that the world is. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone. So yeah, I can, I can actually come up with something now, but I'm not going to do it. Okay, so getting into a little bit about like seven myths, you know, so sevens are constantly trying to avoid pain, uncomfortability, like emotional uncomfortability. You know, they they want to avoid pain. They want to avoid being dissatisfied, right? So Mm -hmm. what is pain to you as a seven and why is it bad? Like there are other types who can, who don't flee from, that type of hard, the the hard or difficulty. And so like, they don't, whether they view it as good or bad or whatever, it's, it's a different perspective. So for sevens, why, what, what is that? What is that like? Like, 
if you were to sit in the pain, if you were to sit in the uncomfortability, especially if you're in your ego, what is so scary about it? Why is that really hard? Does your workplace stink because the culture sucks? Are you tired of tolerating people and wish you could all work together cohesively? Does going to work give you instant anxiety? If you say yes to any one of these, you should probably quit your job. But since you aren't going to quit your job, you should call Kaizen Careers. At Kaizen Careers, we are all about improving personal and workplace performance. We use a unique tool called the Enneagram. The Enneagram helps individuals and organizations become more self-aware. That self-awareness lends into helping organizations with communication, leadership, and conflict management, ultimately turning self-awareness into self-mastery and creating healthy workplace performance so you can improve your services and bottom line. You can reach Kaizen Careers at kaizencareers.com or 901-334-1644. As a seven, when it comes to pain, which is usually more emotional pain, Mm -hmm. sevens are usually okay with physical pain for the most part uh, because they're doing stuff and, you know, exciting stuff, adventures, right? But um, it's usually those things. And what's, what? here's multiple reasons why, but one of the biggest reasons why is that it's actually felt in the body. And here's an area where a lot of people, because we aren't taught to be in our bodies mm-hmm. by our culture, by our classes, our schools, we don't listen to our bodies, but our bodies determine so much of what we do, which is so interesting. So there is a feeling in the body when emotional pain comes mm-hmm. that is overwhelming and it feels like it's trapping, right? That's the one thing sevens don't want to be is trapped. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. the physical feeling of the body feeling restricted, constricted, um, and feeling like it is it trapped in this physical and emotional space, it feels like it's going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. And that is what scares the seven so much. It's a lot in their mind, but that anxiety, that fear in their mind, that is very mild to what actually happens in the body and the emotions. Because that's why sevens keep moving so fast. They're like, sevens, we are running from um, a lot of times the the emotional pain uh, that we need to deal with. Every every seven, every seven, there is this beautiful pain that like we all have to face, deal Mm -hmm. with. And it's also reality Mm -hmm. that we have to constantly deal with because Mm -hmm. reality is not always happy. Mm -mm. It's, It's, you know, like... Um, that's what one thing the professor said in the email to me, which is interesting. Uh, he's like, everything can be fun and happy all the time. Man, I didn't I didn't ask for it to be fun and happy all the time. Like, but anyway, but see, that was the vibe I was giving off at the exact same time. So yeah. it is being able to deal with that, I think is the the biggest part that the physical trapping part within our bodies, the constriction mm-hmm. that sevens feel is mm-hmm. immense. And that's the scary part because mm-hmm. now the predominant center of intelligence, which is our head, cannot do anything about the body locking up and the emotions being like that. Mm-hmm. It can't. That's why we try to stay distracted, try to move real fast, try to do all these different things, right? Which only lead to tightening and like making our ego structure even stronger. So, so is that where some of the body work that you do, does that help free up some of that constricting physical feeling that you you experience? Oh yeah, like so the anxiety for the seven, and, and it's 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 a weird way of explaining the constriction. So like the intense emotions, especially when they happen more along a line in the chest, mm-hmm. um, oh, it's it's heavy. It's super duper duper heavy, and I'm not used to feeling that either. 
at the same time, there's always usually an anxiety kind of running, like it's just a current of anxiety running. And like, we have to be in tune with it. You know, as a seven, like we usually don't know it on the surface that we have anxiety. Like you're just yeah. going around doing stuff. Like, no, I'm fine. I'm just going around doing stuff. No, you're doing that because you have anxiety. You're not settled. You're not calm, you know, yeah. because you got so much going on. Ah, you know, so when we can deal with that current, we're much better. But at the same time, our anxiety, because I've embodied the anxiety of different types, is this really light anxiety where we do not feel grounded. So on mm-hmm. top of that, our bodies do not feel close to the ground, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're the only types that have to ground from the top down. Mm-hmm. We, we, we are not really able to ground from the bottom and come up like most types. We have to go top down. So mm-hmm. there's those aspects of it that make it really difficult for sevens and a little scary. And then on top of it, in the mind, I would say the, the fear, there's this deep fear on top of already what's happening in the body. There's this deep fear within every single seven. Of, of the reality of life, of the sadness of life, of the deep emotions of life. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like the limitations of life. Mm-hmm. Those things are scary and they're deep inside of the fear of the seven. Mm-hmm. Those are things we constantly have to work on and work through. So mm-hmm. a big part of that, like for me, is understanding that if that's my path to growth, then like for me, you know, in my particular circumstance on how I was born and how I was raised and my experiences, mm-hmm. I was like, we got to get it, you know, because mm-hmm. I want to be I want to be <laughs> I want to be the best I can be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things that are so, yeah. so important to be able to go there. So now I don't I don't I don't fear it. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. now I'm like when it happens, I'm like, up. Oh, Stay present to it. Let's see what it's saying yeah. to you. There is power in being able to name that. Woo. And you can name it and then know that you've been there before. You can go through it again and you'll make it out alive. So let's say you're you're in the middle of the day, you're kind of going between activity to activity and you feel that constriction. You feel that anxiety. How do you ground yourself? What how do you find calm? So there are a couple of different ways. And with my clients, I always try to, I give my clients a whole lot of different resources to be able to use. Um, and for people, resources, what I mean is like techniques and practices mm-hmm. you can do, not necessarily like, not books, but mm-hmm. things you can actually do. So sometimes it's a like really firm breathing where when I breathe in through my nose, I make my stomach really tight when it's out there. And it's big, it's tight. And then I breathe out through my mouth in a way that like I'm like cooling off food, which is a way that I know a couple of counselors and people definitely know they've seen before, but it actually does work at times. Sometimes I literally just go sit and be still somewhere without people. I may go sit in my car. Even in the pandemic, I may go just sit in my car, like sit in my driveway, let the sun hit me and just mm-hmm. be really still, no music, anything. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, different meditation tapes that I have. Um, mm-hmm. I listen to those. Those kind of help me to do my thing. And then sometimes I have to meet I have to meet the intensity. So I may have to work out. I, mm-hmm. It may be something I need to like, I need something that's more high impact workout to yeah. actually meet the intensity of the anxiety that I'm feeling or that constriction that I start to feel. Those are some ways. And then sometimes it's helpful to 
like listen to music. You know, I'll listen to music, certain genres of music help me to kind of deal with it. And it's not always calming music. Sometimes I need music that is more aligned with focusing on being focused mm-hmm. <laughs> and getting things done. And so for me, a lot of that is actually Nipsey Hustle. Helps me get through a lot of different days uh, mm-hmm. because it's it's so focused and Nipsey Hustle was a three. And you can listen to music and tell like he's such a three. So mm-hmm. like that mindset a lot of times helps me to really focus in on different days and get through certain things. Um, but it's a gambit of different music I can listen to. And I understand because understanding types and how people, you know, work and different things, their music does different things because that type is speaking to you through a way that's yeah. artistic. So yeah, th- those are those are some of the things I do. Anyone who experiences clinical anxiety or any of the head types who experience anxiety. I mean, I know I experience anxiety even as a two. It's not nearly the type of anxiety that five, sixes, and sevens feel. But I think all of those practices are really helpful. Um, I know a lot of, I've, I've done a lot of breathing um, exercises to ground me um, in my senses. So I think those are all really great examples of how to find that calm. And like you said, it doesn't always mean being still and silent. It can, but sometimes meeting that intensity, especially for aggressive numbers. I've heard that for threes and eights too. Like sometimes you just have to meet that intensity and like work it off together. <laughs> yeah. Get your endorphins kicking in. Um, yeah. That, that yeah. definitely helps. So for the healing message, so there's like a wounding message and a healing message for, for sevens. Um, you know, the wounding message for sevens kind of this idea that you it was a message that you you heard but shouldn't have heard when you were a kid and then the healing message is the message you should have heard but somehow it didn't land um you didn't hear it so for seven that you won't like you ha- you're on your own you won't be satisfied you won't be taken care of right wow. and then for the healing message is that you will be taken care of your needs will be satisfied so is that hard to believe for you like I mean, you can say all day long, like, I will be provided for, I will be taken care of. But like, how does that ever sink in for you? I get more and more glimpses of how I will be, how I am, how I have been, and how I will be taken care of. That's the thing. So it is, and that, that's another thing. It took me a long time to, like, for it to really click, for me to really realize it. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, shoot. That's one of the biggest reasons I do what I do. The seven inside of me does what it does, right? It's trying somewhere to, I don't feel like I could be taken care of or I feel like there's this gluttony, right? Gluttony is one of the the passion of the seven. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to fill myself with experiences to fill this hole that I have inside of me. But none of these things will fill that hole. Everything I'm, you know, I'm looking for out externally is not going to fill that hole. So a big part of actually being able to realize like you have been supported, you have been taken Mm -hmm. care of. So many people have cared for you and care for you and will care about you in the future has been huge. I did a meditation with the seven. Um, She, I met her, I was doing an interview or something for Beatrice uh, Chestnut and Urania Pius on subtypes or something. And I was on there and one of the ladies was a seven. She'd been doing this work for a while, coaching, using Enneagram. And she just wanted to meet with me. And she did a meditation. She led me in a meditation. And she said, as she's going through, she's like, all right, so just feel the seat support you beneath you. Feel all the support you're getting from it. That messed me up. <laughs> because I, I, I hadn't, 
I hadn't necessarily thought about just everything that literally supports me from the smallest things to the biggest things. You know, like my freaking chair is supporting me right now, right? You know what I'm saying? Like this, my desk is supporting this part of like my podcast area. Things are being supported. Like there's so many supports going on in my life, but like totally missing, totally missing it. Be like, no, I got to create this experience. I got to do this. No, I got I got to do this. So I would say when I first learned about it, it didn't compute. I was like, eh, I don't know about this, right? Like, you know, it's because it's deeper in. And that's yeah. the thing. We all have to go deeper in and yeah. find stuff and be like, oh, crap, that's what that is. And so I've constantly been seeing how I've been supported more and more uh, in life. One thing I, I remember, too, that hit at this message before I knew it was the message for me. Mm-hmm. Someone mentioned, that was like, think about all the people. I think I was in college. It was like, think about the people who pray for you when you're not, you know, around or just praying for you daily. That messed me up. I was like, oh, crap. There are literally people (laughs) who care about me, want me to flourish and make it and do well in life and not even necessarily have to say something to me every single day or whatever. Like that messed me up. I was like, oh, Mm. shoot, there is someone, other people who think about me. So that hit at a point really strong when I was younger and I didn't even didn't even yeah. you know, realize what it was connected to. But right. yeah, these these things are are deep. I, I think for me to, be, to believe it, I think I am learning more and more to definitely gradually lean into it. And I, I'm seeing it more and more. That's the thing. Like I, I see it more in the things that I do. It's like my, my, my feet are being guided. Mm-hmm. Uh, spiritually, they're being guided because mm-hmm. I'm ending in places that I am very helpful, that are developing me, pushing me, stretching me while I'm still being able to be beneficial and helpful to other people and I'm being healed at the same time. So I know good in doggone well, it's like a place where like I'm doing my best to not plan, AKA the fixation of the seven, yeah, yeah. not plan everything, you know? And as I do that, it's like, like God is guiding my footsteps and putting me in places where I never thought in the world I'd be doing DEI work using the Enneagram ever, Mm, mm, ever. mm. Like the first big thing I did was using the D using DEI with the Enneagram because of someone, because of Sharon in Nashville who does nine paths. Shout out to Sharon. She's like one of my mentors. I love her. And it was the first thing I did was use the Enneagram and using DEI. And I was relatively new to that space, right? Even as a black person, like I'm living my life out here. You know what I'm saying? I'm just mm-hmm. trying to make it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. diversity, equity, and inclusion just for anyone who doesn't know oh, yeah. DEI acronym. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, and now I'm literally about to get certified in doing DEI and Enneagram work like two years later from starting that. Like, Amazing. And right, I'm in spaces where I'm speaking about the Enneagram and being a black male and our society and all the things. And I didn't come into the Enneagram space like gung-ho about doing that. Never right. did, right? But through this experience, I've grown so deeply. I am being healed so much and still so much to go, but... And I've learned so much and I've brought more of myself to every place that I go, which is the mm-hmm. part that I love. And because mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much of myself that I did not bring mm-hmm. into places. So it, it, it has been deep and I've, mm-hmm. I'm learning more and more to uh, understand that I have, I am and I will be taken care of. So, yeah, it is, it is something else. So when you said you're bringing more of yourself to places, um, what's the hesitation, you know, before that to to not bring your whole self, not to bring more of yourself? Is that out of 
what what fear is that coming out of? So there is fear in quite a few places. And one of, one of the, the fears is there's a bodily fear. As a Black man, as a Black body, and I realized mm. this. It took me a while to realize this. Um, I was in Seattle the first time I really realized this. I was with my best friend's grandma, and we were in Walmart like at 10 p.m. at night, 11 p.m. at night. And I noticed that I just felt lighter, so much lighter. I was like, no, oh, this is interesting. We were walking down the aisle together, this little old white lady, you know, tall, slim, black guy, right? And no one was looking at us weird. My body wasn't scared. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I realized, like, because my body is, like, trying to be prepared. This self-presence, especially of me and being a black male, oh, my yeah. goodness, with the culture overlay of self-presence as my culture. Oh, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's right. It's like there's a, but we're not taught to recognize it as fear. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Because we only think of fear in one way, as a weakness, and it's not. It's just, it's fears. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. And my body wasn't, like, restricted or constricted in any type of way. And I felt comfortable. And I was like, dang, nobody's looking at us weird because we're walking here together. Like, excuse me, sir. What's going on? Ma'am, are you okay? None, none of that type of stuff. It was totally, yeah. it's like, oh, shoot. This is what it feels like. Or if I leave the country, if I go to a different country, <laughs> the weight of being Black doesn't weigh on me. Wow. Um, it wow. Doesn't, It's kind of messed up, but, um, you know, it it doesn't weigh on me that I'm black and that people may see me as dangerous or so there's a fear that my body physically could be hurt by somebody that I don't know. And I don't know, like they could seem like a nice person. Then before you know it, they're trying to hurt me. You know what I'm saying? So that is one fear I would definitely say when it comes to uh, bringing myself to places. And because we like if people understand our body is the first place that we experience like life. And then yes. it goes to our, and what I mean by body, I mean somatics, like the yeah. physical content within our bodies, the sensations we have, then our emotions feel it, then our brain feels it, right? And right. so if my body is already fearful of what's going on, it's automatically going to take my heart out of the play. Right. And so as a seven, like, and a self-press, like now my heart is definitely taken out, right? So I'm right. not going yeah, I'm not bringing my heart. So now my body doesn't trust this place, but my emotions definitely don't trust it. First of all, I was scared to get to them in the first place, which took a while, right? <laughs> but, yeah. but but now I'm really afraid. So now it's like, oh no, we definitely not going to allow you to know what's in my heart. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. it just goes to the headspace and then I can rationalize anything and mm-hmm. smile and laugh and all this type of stuff. But in and reality, then you're just an ego and personality and yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes so much sense. Oh yeah. So, You've been talking about being a self-pressed seven. So I want to, I want interested on your subtype and your sequences. How would you identify your, your stack of instincts? Yeah. So my dominant instinct without a single doubt is self-pressed for so many different reasons. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Social would be the, um, my middle and then my repressed is sexual. Uh, so what does that, what does that mean for you? Like, What's what's hard for you? What comes easy for you? Talk a little mm. bit about that. What comes very easy? Taking care of myself. <laughs> yeah. I I have no problem with taking care of my physical body. Like, um, and I mean enjoying food, enjoying like uh life, taking a break, being comfortable. I have no, no no problems around that. I really don't. And that's the, that's the thing where people ask me, it's like, how do you do so much? You're just not like, you know, like crazy tired and things. It's like, I do get crazy tired at times, but usually my self-prayers kicks in well, well enough that I'm like, today I'm taking a break. I'm going to yeah. lay down. 
Like, you know, like, and, I, and you don't and feel I, guilty about it. No, like, like <laughs> there, there's moments where I, I feel that, that tinge of like, I need to be doing something productive, but I also won't want to do anything, but it doesn't weigh on me so heavy. But then my self-praise, a lot of times I, I allow myself to lean into it because of so much that I do that I just allow it to take care of myself. So if I need mm. to eat, I need to eat. If I need to go drink, I need to go drink. If I need to lay down, I need to lay down. Hey, I want to buy something really comfortable. I'm going to buy it, right? And, uh, <laughs> I'm self-prez repressed. So I'm just like, I wish that I could do this for myself. <laughs> so so that comes so easy for me. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, what, now what comes hard for me is like actual, I would say one-on-one, very intimate relationships. Like those things come come pretty difficult to me. So even if, even though I'm like confident to a certain degree of who I am and the pandemic has helped me love myself even more, you know what I'm saying? And really mm-hmm. discovering black, I love myself. I love growing my hair out. I love these things. Like, so it's all these different things that I have learned to love. And the pandemic has actually helped with one-on-one because now it's Zoom one-on-ones with like a whole all lots of people, right? Yeah, yeah. All the time. So that has really uh, helped in a lot of different ways to mm-hmm. kind of bring my repressed sexual instinct mm-hmm. up. But what hit me is that I learned deeply about the instincts from, you know, you run your pious and Beatrice Chestnut and mm-hmm. the instincts are the instincts when they are going awry and we're not in control of them, they, they distort life. And one of the distortions of the sexual repressed instinct is that I am not important mm-hmm. enough to be in a relationship or I'm not that valuable. And I was like, what? I was like, no, I'm not. I don't believe that. That's crazy. And then I really started, you know, your first reaction is like, please, me? No, never. Then I started to really think about it. And I was like, oh, is this true? Is this why? And then I started thinking of scenarios in life. I'm like, oh, 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 okay. You know, so I really started to do think about it. And I was like, oh, shoot, it might be true. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. Like, you know, it's a realization like, oh, crap. Because we create, all of us do this. We create a narrative around the things we don't fully understand and around things that uh, make us seem like the victor or victim in our story. Mm-hmm. And it's, it doesn't hit at the truth of what we need to really look at. And so what that did, it hit at the truth. And I was like, oh, shoot. Mm, okay. All right. I will start working on that yeah. sooner than later. So yeah. that, that really helped me to yeah. debunk some of the so- narratives. I know, like, for me as a self-pres repressed, like, things that I have to do to work on and bring up my self-pres center is, like, budgeting. And um, (laughs) I just bought a house, right? So there's so many self-pres tasks, like, you know, the furnace needs to be fixed. Or, you know, I'm just, like, I lived in a really, really cold house for several days before I realized, oh, this is not normal. The furnace (laughs) has a problem, right? (laughs) Right? So... Um, just like being aware of that type of thing. And my roommate and I were talking this morning about how it's just so hard to try to decide what to eat because like, oh, why do we have to put food in ourselves? That's just so hard. Um, right. So, you know, meal prepping, like those types of things are really like self-pres tasks that I have to really work on. So what does that look like from the sexual instinct? What types of things are, um, what does working on that look like? bringing it up. I'm super excited to announce my new partnership with BetterHelp. This episode is actually sponsored by BetterHelp. If you are struggling, BetterHelp can help. 
you'll receive 10% off their first month when you sign on using betterhelp.com forward slash do it. So I'm super excited uh, about this partnership that me and BetterHelp have um, entered into because in this point where everything that we're doing right now to connect with people is more virtual, it is so important mental health. I think that aligns perfectly with things that we're trying to do, things that I want to do, and um, anybody that I would refer or think that could be potentially beneficial to the audience. And I think BetterHelp is definitely one of them. BetterHelp is basically, it's online counseling or therapy. So you're able to actually get some counseling or therapy uh, depending on what's going on from licensed counselors and therapists around the country. And um, you get to be able to get some of that one-on-one mental checkup that you may need and BetterHelp is able to help you. So just go to betterhelp.com forward slash do it and you'll get a 10% discount for your first month. Yeah. Um, what it looks like is making time to have one-on-one time with people. That's mm-hmm. one of the biggest things. So it's it looks like, you know, let me reach out and call such and such and have a conversation. Let me make sure I talk about something that may be more serious. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Let me involve some a little bit more of myself, allow myself to be more intimate with people. And not, you know, saying from a nice a sexual standpoint, but just mm-hmm. intimacy period with any relationship, right. friendship you're in. Yes, it's important because uh, as self-prayer seven, period, we, and I didn't know I did this, we curate the people we want around us. Mm-hmm. We do that, right? And we have to be careful because we can curate, we curate great people, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, we have to work on making sure that we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to connect with them. Because yeah. these are some of the people that support and like are helpful and really want to see you thrive and like be amazing and everything. And so part of it is being able to share yourself with them in ways that is intimate. So that is something I've been working on and learning about. That it, and it does feel difficult because, like, the body feels some type of way, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, different types. You have self-prayers who is usually moving in situations like they're cool with certain people. But then when, like, the intensity turns up, they'll pull away from people. Sexual mm-hmm. types are moving towards people. Mm-hmm. And social may be moving towards what's, like, interesting at the moment socially kind of deal or what's popping at the moment, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, ooh, I like this. Like, oh, it's not popping anymore. Next thing, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's it's that... Um, push pull even in from our instinct standpoint, which I've found through life. I've I've definitely found myself pulling away from people who were like sexual instincts. They're coming on like sometimes they just come on too strong. You'd be like, all right, mm-hmm. it's a little too tough right now. You look too intense, you know. Mm-hmm. And the self prayers would be like, okay, I'm gonna pull back. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's being able to balance the reaction of pulling back with okay. Where do I feel comfortable engaging in a way that does communicate a little bit more of vulnerability or intimacy from myself, mm-hmm. but also still, you know, protecting me and having my safe boundaries? Yeah, right. Making, you know, good judgment. You're not just going to divulge anything to just anybody. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you talk about curating um, people around you. What types do you hang around most? What does your curated circle look like? Um, so my, my very, very, very tight knit circle includes, uh, a five includes a one includes a nine and a counterphobic six, um, a, a sexual six. I think it's interesting. I think I hang out the least. I can tell you that with sevens. 
Interesting. Okay. Okay. It's like, it's kind of like we're in a different group and we kind of take up the same niche and same spot. So it's like, all right, well, that's your group. I have a different one, right? (laughs) Um, or, or, Or it's like... You feed off of each other so much, you'd be like, okay, now I'm tired. You do what you want. <laughs> you know, or, or I see all of the patterns that are usually unhealthy as a seven. And so, like, now I'm looking at their patterns while also knowing them that they also are part of my pattern. So I'm like, oh, hit that yeah. again. You know, <laughs> so I noticed that with fours, that fours typically don't hang in the same circle. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot. Um, yeah. Types of hangout and most. I, I, think, I think I really do have a. After my like curated group of amazing yeah. individuals, I think it just from there. When I look at it, it just it's just random from there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd have to do probably take a deeper look, but it seems pretty random with people who I feel who really know how to do their own inner work. That's yeah. the thing. Right. If a person is pretty healthy and, and like working on their own self awareness, I can be around anyone. Right. Like, with, with that goal. Now, when they're not, there are certain types that make it really hard for me to be around. Yeah. But yeah. when it comes to that, oh, yeah, I'm pretty pretty strong around different types. And yeah. I, I love to work around types who have uh, the strengths in my weak areas. Mm-hmm. I love now, I love working with sixes because, ooh, gosh, they're really good at, you know. Poking the holes things. in all your good ideas. Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> Details. Oh, please. Uh, sixes, uh, ones. And uh, fives as well. Like there's, there's a, I, I actually enjoy working with them because they have some strengths in areas that I yeah. don't. Well, and that's where you would go to in security um, as a five. That's so interesting too, talking about, so you're kind of connected to the six would be a possible wing for you. The five and the one are your integration and disintegration types. Um so you have spaces where you have things in common, but also they bring th- they bring a certain energy to you that you need to balance yourself out. And probably likewise, you know, you bring things to them that um, help them access different points of their their growth journey. And what I now let me tell you the types I enjoy working with the most, though. Yeah. Threes and eights. I'm telling yeah. you, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've worked with a team of three of a three, seven and eight. Woo. Like we are moving. Proven, like I'm telling you, like I love it, and it's just, it just like our energy flows so well together. Like it's going to happen, we're going to make it happen. We know how to make it happen, or we know how to adjust really well. Oh my goodness, the flow from the group, woo, love it, love it. Yeah, that's great. I just find it fascinating the psychology of like group dynamics and you know which types of people hang out with others. I'm a social dominant, so I think that stuff is fascinating. I'm always analyzing groups and like what my place is in it and what everyone else's place is in it. Yeah. Um, Another question I had for you. So you mentioned that, this is a more serious question, but on a previous episode that you've done a lot of work around healing from racial trauma in your life, which is a pretty heavy and complex topic to unpack, especially for a seven. (laughs) So how and when did you come to terms with accepting, number one, that you had experienced trauma? Um, And then what resources supported you um, in that journey? I think I've always known, I would say, that there was, that I've experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. But 
I never categorized it as trauma until mm-hmm. I learned what it was about, mm-hmm. about five years ago, right? I was like, oh, I thought that's just the way that you lived. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's ever ta- um, taken a ACE, like the test that talks about, um, what's it called? Oh my goodness, it's, it's leaving my mind. But ACEs are, they're records of basically um, different types of traumas that you've had in life. Oh my goodness. It's like, you know, have you been through a divorce or have you, yes. did you live with anybody with substance abuse right. or like those types of things? You kind of check boxes to see, yeah. oh, wow, these things are classified as trauma. Oh, I thought that was just life. Gosh, I hate I cannot remember the acronym right now. But anyway, um, people can look it up. So you have an A score and it lets you know, like there's big trauma, there's big T trauma, little T trauma. And I did this activity when I was in high school where they had us blindfolded and we were all on the line together and we had to step forward or backwards depending on what they said, right? Yeah, yeah. I was the person who was the furthest away from everyone on like the left side of the wall and everybody was either on the right side. It was one person on the left, but barely over the line. And I was like, I needed more space to keep moving left uh-huh. or where we need to move because of the experiences that I've had. And I was like... I took my blindfold off. We all took it off. And it was like, these are the experiences different people have had here, you know, in this group, even though this was like a, it was bridge builders. It was like great group of people um, trying to help you understand uh, diversity, inclusion, and all these different Mm -hmm. things with different Mm -hmm. high schoolers. And I was looking like, dang, ain't nobody else over here with me? Godly. So it was a realization. It was something that made me very thankful and like, grateful and humble. It's like, I'm here with all of you all. And I've had all these experiences in my life that are pretty doggone traumatic um, or with or deal with trauma and been a part of or witness certain things. And so it's like, wow, I'm here with you all. Like, this is like, I feel pretty good about this. But also there's a lot underneath that of like, oh, but by the way, Milton, yeah, you need to process that too. Like, so it's like, oh, that's nothing to be glad about necessarily. So right, right. (laughs) I would say that's how I came to the realization of the trauma and more and more trauma comes up as I've like started to explore and explore mm. more, like more and more comes up. Um, but I'm in a place where I have enough resources that I know like kind of what to do when it happens uh, yeah. for the most part. Yeah. So some of the resources that I have found, this is, this is a, cause I'm actually attending a course that's teaching like me how to work through it. That's the thing. Mm. So. Uh, Deborah Egerton's uh, DEI's uh, Enneagram certification course has really made me look at my racial trauma because I know I had trauma mm-hmm. before that, but I mm-hmm. never, I never chalked it up necessarily to racial things that have happened because as a seven, I have buried it in my psyche yep. and all that type of stuff, right? But the body keeps count yeah. as the book goes, right? As yeah. they say, so my body keeps count of all these records of racial trauma that I've had in the past and things I didn't consider trauma. I was just like, oh, this experience part of being black, right? Yeah. But some of this stuff is trauma, right? And so like now that I've like started to look at it and heal it, even the way that I speak about other people, think about other people, speak to other people, when it comes to black issues, it comes from a place that's being healed and not from an open wound. And it's such a different place because Mm -hmm. In the DEI space, this is what I see. I, I see a lot of people passionate, um, especially from a lot of beautiful black leaders and activists. I see a lot of people passionate, but we have to be careful because when we come from a, a place that is overtly hurt and we are trying to do work to transform 
and fix things, we actually end up hurting other people in the in the in the, the way that we're doing things. So yeah. that has really helped me to be more effective, bring more of myself, heal. Because when I look at it, I'm like, wow, we're all humans that are very, very damaged. Uh, every single one of us, no matter who you are, no matter how uh, privileged you are, every one of us is damaged because we live on this earth. Yeah. So um, we just lack the awareness of it, some of us, right? And being people who are of color, who have been marginalized, a lot of pain comes from our experiences. And there's nothing wrong with communicating the pain mm-hmm. and like being able to voice it and being able to be heard because that's another thing that needs to be heard as well. Like yeah. there needs to be spaces, particular spaces to be heard where you yeah. can literally say, my pain is this, this is my trauma, let it out and people listen. That's, that's so important and that's something I overlooked. And that's what helped. I went to, I'm going to speak on Dr. Dr. Egerton again. She had a healing session last mm-hmm. year, um, especially around everything that happened with George Floyd and everything that was happening in 2020, as we know. And she had a healing session on Zoom and like had people internationally there. And I was like, what the hell is a healing session? That was my first thought for real. I was like, what the <laughs> hell is this? This don't make no sense. But I trust Dr. E, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give this a try. Mm-hmm. And what she did, she it was a space where Black people who were there were allowed to express how they feel and what's going on. And, and it wasn't like a, a, a debate or heal or nothing like that. It was like, they're just going to be able to talk about their experience. And other people there were just as allies to support. Oh my goodness. Oh my, that was actually started the healing process. I was like, what the world? I hear other black people speaking from the experience of, I felt different things. I was like, Oh my goodness. And that was the power of being able to be heard and listened to mm-hmm. and not saying like, oh, your reality is not real because I don't experience it, that type of crap. You know, like yeah. that was deep. Um, yeah. And it actually started to help heal me. So, wow. um, It's yeah. so simple, but not simple. <laughs> right, right. Like it's, yeah. you know, listen, you know what I'm saying, to really understand yeah. the people. So I was moved quite a bit by that. And it's really helped me to, start the the healing process and things have come up more and more uh trauma that's not even race related mm-hmm. i was in a somatic workshop and they were talking about breathe they were talking about this um meditation with breathing in water and like relaxing the body i immediately thought about a time 20 plus years ago where a kid tried to drown me like and i I forgot about it. Like, and I don't think, let me say that again. I don't think he was purposely trying to drown me, but he was trying to keep me underwater in an eight mm. foot pool. Mm. And like, I was like mm. freaking, I don't know. I was like nine, 10, eight, maybe this is 20 mm. plus years ago. I hadn't thought about this situation since the day, probably. Mm. I never considered his trauma. Immediately we're doing this water exercise. Everybody else on there is like, oh, this feels so good. You know, like I see their face like, oh, I'm enjoying this. And my chest is tightening up like crazy. And I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And this memory pops up from nowhere. Wow. I'm like, what is this? And so resource, I stay with it first and foremost. Um, and I breathe through or around it, which some people may not understand what that means. And I'll try to explain that in, in other episodes. Our bodies, we have an energetic body along with our physical body. And so that's how you breathe. Your air, your, your breath goes through your whole body or you wouldn't you know, be able to walk or anything. It'd just be in your lungs. So it goes through your whole body. But that spot where I felt it, I, I started to breathe through and around it and stay with it and not distract myself, not try to make it go away. And then I just got really curious about what in the world is it trying to tell me? Like, mm-hmm. what are you trying to tell me? And this information 
And so that slowly started to help it soften a little bit, not a whole lot. And then what I did is that I visually, I went and saw my young self, my, I don't know, eight, seven-year-old self, and uh, somebody had pulled me out the pool and was sitting me at the edge of the pool. And I came and sat down, my grown self now, sat down by my younger self, put my arm around him and said, you're okay. You're okay. And that started to help some of that, like feeling trapped in my chest, that energy kind of started to soften and move a little bit. So that really helped me to kind of move through that part of that trauma that came up. Because I I, I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it. I haven't thought about it 20 plus years. That is such a powerful tool to have in your toolkit, especially as a seven, learning how to breathe through, stay with, move through, not just all of a sudden disassociate or, you know, do something else impulsively. I mean, that is a skill. That is a skill that takes vulnerability and courage um, and bravery, you know, to move through. But especially for sevens that they haven't, they don't have some of those tools in their toolkit from being kids. That's not something that they learned how to do. They have other tools in their toolkit that other numbers need, you know, but, but that's a, that's a tool that's really necessary, especially, you know, when you're trying to, a, a, trauma, a traumatic event comes up or you're processing grief in, in real time. And how do you, how do you do that? Well, that's something that's, that's newer to sevens. Um, and that can get really scary and the stakes can get really high, really fast for seven. And so that's, that's an awesome practical example of, of ways to work through that. And that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. That well, yeah, but, to yeah, you, no, no, but, saying, yeah. but yeah, that you were able to work through it and that you were able to do that in a, in a, in a space that was in a class, like, you know, you had, you were being supported. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. You were being supported through that. Wow. Okay. Another question on the other end of the spectrum, a little less heavy. <laughs> so <laughs> let's say you're in charge of a designing a retreat or a conference, right? So you do, you do a lot of types of work with schools and organizations and people. So let's say you're going to do this and you have 12 people, their undivided attention for two days. What do you, you do with it? What would you we want dance. to talk about? We <laughs> dance? Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, one of the first things, um, which is so important, is um, we're doing we're going to do grounding and centering. That is, it's so important. And I want to, and going to teach people how to do it, like who don't know how to do it, right? Like help them to understand how to do it, how to feel your body, how to get into it. Uh, because, I mean, there's so much, it's like magic in your body. Like when we learn, when you learn how to like feel what's happening in your body, it's a never ending process, first and foremost, right? Um, yeah. Of like different experiences and like, what the world is that? What's happening? Why am I? That would be one thing. Obviously, there would be two or three super fun uh, exercises and activities that involve group work. Like, it's just, yeah. that's one thing that always happens. Like, there's always going to be excitement, um, something fun to do that engages them, but also helps to show the difference in their types. And then there will be something that um, really connects their heart and tries to get at the the part of vulnerability that everyone needs to be able to get to, to a certain degree, because it's super important mm-hmm. uh, as, as we do this work. It's like, we've got to be able to connect with people. We've got to be able to be vulnerable in a healthy way uh, to really grow. And there would be good food. Uh, that's another mm. thing too. There'd be good food. So mm. Those are those are a few of the light things. Like I have a ton of actually ideas that mm-hmm. I when we open back up, like I was already mm-hmm. planning to do 
like different um, retreats and workshops uh, for like five day, like four and five day uh, retreats and workshops. Before the pandemic hit, I was ready and everything, but it hit, you know, but I'll be teaching these different areas through different exercises because I want people to experience it in their bodies and their emotions and not just think it through and just see the knowledge. But how do I embody each type? You know, how do I understand it from this point? How do I develop more empathy? How do I deal with stuff I need to really deal with? And then just create a container for people that people feel psychologically safe and also help people to work on their instincts. This is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Every workshop I do, like, well, workshop, well, the group that I'm teaching, I facilitate with right now, my own group, the complete Enneagram program that I'm doing. We visualize the calming of our instinct before we start every time mm-hmm. because self-praise, social, or um, sexual would take over. And mm-hmm. we will <laughs> do or say something that is not from our essence of who we are and doesn't value the essence of everyone else. And we will spout off, we'll say something, we'll chat something, and we won't be fully there. So that's something that's very important that, you know, I'll do is so that people learn to not only work with their instinct, but learn how to visualize. There is power in visualization, power in visualization um, to be able to break through things. So I, that sounds so great. I, I have this um, dream of being able to go to like some big house in like the country somewhere, like a wine country, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. it's got like a swimming pool and it's got like all these like, you know, like, paths next to woods and then you have like you know eight to twelve people there and you're doing like you know spiritual meditations contemplative practices and you know learning experiences some fun you know and it's all like geared around that type of you know healing and inner work and empathy and vulnerability and I mean man I just can't wait oh yeah yeah (laughs) seriously and and if People are listening. If you've never done that, I implore you to go and when it's come back to normal, like to go and do these different like conferences or retreats, life transforming, like, ooh, some of the best moments I've ever had, literally. Yeah. Mm. Literally. So my last question for you. So I struggle to attract type sevens to my personal workshop. So I do some workshops and coaching and um, I have, I, I have a lot of fours and a lot of nines. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I did an improv workshop with the Enneagram. I like to take acting and improv and, and combine that with the Enneagram. And I literally had a full class of fours and nines who were all terrified of improv. And I taught them improv and it was so interesting. They all felt awkward, but when they, when the fours feel awkward, they over talk. And when the nines feel awkward, they shut down. So it was just a bunch of one-sided improv. Ah, ah. <laughs> it was so funny. So we, we worked on it. I was like, okay, fours, you are only allowed to say one sentence and nines, you have to start the conversation. Let's try it. You know, we would, you know, experiment, you know, we we're experimenting with stuff like that. And they, they were all really great champ, Like, troopers and they all like just jumped in you know but um I have never had a seven come to any of my workshops so how you know with Enneagram work it seems kind of shiny if you're looking at the Instagram world of Enneagram right it looks kind of fun but when you go deeper it's kind of scary because there's a lot of heavy complex layers there and a lot of like self-reflection and 
that doesn't seem to go in line with the seven's ego energy pattern, right? So how do you attract sevens to learn about the Enneagram? That is a really, really good question. And that's a very good two question, too. How do you attract sevens to get <laughs> What can I do to um, help sevens? <laughs> for me, what helped me is someone, the people who I've really respected, my Enneagram coach now is a seven, go figure, is she was able to pin me down. And I mean that like the way that I think and talk because we can talk in circles and we can talk uh, about a whole lot of different things where we are not hitting on the most important thing or the thing we need to focus on because we like have all these things. Yeah. And when I can or even we can do the same thing where we look really impressive and we say all these good things and fun things. But it's like we didn't really talk about what's really happening. So mm-hmm. when I find people who can do that for me or just call my pattern out, mm-hmm. then it intrigues me. Then I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting. OK. And it's kind of a it's kind of a respect thing, you know, when someone can can balance, kind of balance out the seven. There's there's this beautiful challenge that sevens have. I, I think it's like a mental, more of a mental challenge where it's like, oh, Hmm. Okay. So now I'm intrigued. You've kind of like pegged me. Like you mm-hmm. got me. Like oh, okay. You 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 see me. That's a different thing. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times people don't see sevens. They see the ha ha, the laugh, mm-hmm. the jokes, mm-hmm. the fun, all this type of stuff. Um, which is not a lot of times. It's really for other people. It's not for themselves, to be honest. Right. So, right. <laughs> right. So, um, it when you when a seven feels feels seen. So if you can call out a pattern. In the seven or talk about like um, hit them with a sandwich. That's one way, you know what I'm saying? Like it'll be light and fun, but then hit them with something serious and then bring it back to light and fun. Like real quick and be like, what? Like, what? Like that intrigues the seven some to be like, oh, hmm. Because then you brought it back light, especially depending on the level, depending on the uh, instinct, dominant instinct. But you bring it back. It's like, oh, I'm kind of all right. I'm a little intrigued because those things, it's like a. It hooks sevens a little bit to mm-hmm. to hit them with a little bit of seriousness. The thing is, it it, it can't be too heavy, too fast, too right. long. Right. <laughs> so it seems like you you come you, like well, if you're a marketing expert to get sevens interested in you, <laughs> um, you get the ment. It's like an intellectual intrigue with just a little bit of heart, but not too much. And so it's it's intellectual, but a little heart kind of attached onto the end, and then you kind of go back to the intellectual maybe. Oh, yeah. And then, too, I would say even if you're talking about improvisation, which sevens, I mean, that that's one of those tools that comes in our toolbox already. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. We can just turn it on all of a sudden. Right. And have no clue what we're talking about. But, man, do we sound like we know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was in a class. And people was like, no, we see through. We see through when people do stuff. And I was like, no, y'all don't. Trust me. I, yeah. I was like, I'm not going to say it here because y'all won't know when I'm doing it, when I'm not. But I'll be there. Oh. <laughs> right. There are moments where we don't know, but like a lot of times we are darn good at it. They'd be like, dang, okay, okay. But um, I would say with sevens, it's like maybe have asking a couple of sevens, you know, like, oh, I'm doing this improv class. And I think you'd be great. You might could even really show people how to do it really well, like help them kind of like take a small part where they feel like they're leading it kind of. That mm-hmm. can also hook sevens into doing it too, mm-hmm. because now they're excited and intrigued because 
You know, we we have the gift to be random. Mm-hmm. Hey. I love watching sevens do improv. I mean, they are just, <laughs> it is fantastic. It's so great. You get, you get, you know, and that was part of my, my research is I really wanted to look into um, how, what each, what do you, what do you get if you have a scene of all nine types? Like, how are they interacting on stage? What stories, what roles are they playing? And, uh, you know, you get like a three and a seven and a nine. I mean, man, that will be a really great scene. <laughs> oh, it would be. Oh my goodness. So, no, that's really interesting. Well, thanks so much for sharing part of your story and a little bit more about, you know, your, how you work internally and um, what makes you tick and, you know, going a little bit deeper into, into just things that make you, you and some of the work that you've been doing, I think, especially for sevens, this will be, hopefully they can relate and find, find um, some healing and some encouragement and in doing Enneagram work. Um, and then for anyone who's not a seven, you just got an amazing insight into <laughs> into how sevens work in internally and that they're not just happy puppy dogs um, <laughs> with really great ideas. I mean, that can be there, but there's also so much complexity underneath the seven um, surface. So thanks for giving us some insight there. I appreciate it, Elizabeth. Thank you for those great questions, too. Um, absolutely amazing questions. Uh, they got me thinking. Then we went to the heart a little bit. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, <laughs> so um, I do want to let the audience know I need you to look at the link inside of the um, show notes and or check Instagram and Facebook because I am releasing. Well, I'm pre is a pre-order for my new book that is coming out. And I want um, the whole world to get to be able to yeah. actually see it and get to read it. And I'm the pre-order part, it's a launch. It only lasts for 30 days. Mm. So I need you to go ahead and go ahead and grab you a copy and then tell your loved ones to get a copy as well. Uh, because I want to get, obviously, I want to get a really good publisher uh, for this book so that I can make sure that it is promoted and mm-hmm. um, sent out as it needs to be done. And here's the thing. Uh, this book is like my podcast, like me, it's practical. Um, one thing I think Enneagram books miss in totality generally is mm-hmm. practicality. There's a lot of yeah. good information in books, tons, but it doesn't always equate to how do you do the work? So my book is actually going to uh, implement and have all those things that are very practical so that you can do. Um, and then besides that, uh, August 5th is when I'm doing my second cohort of the Kaizen Complete Enneagram program. And it is an awesome program. There's only 20 people that I'm going to be taking because I want a unique community of people who are able to really find and grow bonds and become and develop um, through learning the Enneagram in a deeper way. So you can sign up for that. That's also in the show notes and on my website and on all of my social media has links to it. Besides that, um, you know, I do one-on-one coaching and I also work with um, different organizations. So if you're looking for that, you can go to kaizencareers.com and fill out one of the um, inquiry forms um, and we can have a good old conversation. I think uh, do, we that- get to, do we get to know the name of your book that's coming out? Yes. So I feel like this episode would be right around that time. So the name of the book is called Motivate elevate and ameliorate a Mm. practical Enneagram book made to transform your life. So love it. (laughs) Yeah. And so those are my things. Uh, Ameliorate is by far one of my most favorite words 
in the world. Uh, it's all about growing, developing, and making something better than when you first found it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I'm using that word uh, as the title in this book. So well, I'm definitely going to pre-order it. Who's with me? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, so thank you all so much for listening. Uh, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for inspiring the idea uh, and also helping to actually do the interview and ask amazing questions. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Don't forget to check out anything that uh, Elizabeth has. Elizabeth, drop your information so they can also find you as well. Yeah, so I do Enneagram coaching. I'm really passionate about in, including uh, Brene Brown's work into Enneagram, looking at the lens of Brene Brown's work, shame, vulnerability, courage, empathy. Um, it, I do some DEI work as well with that. Um, But I also, as a theater artist, love working with actors, theater artists, incorporating improv. Guaranteed, if you do something with me, it's probably going to have some improv in it. So, um, so, um, yeah, so my website is www.notjusteniacoach.com. And you can find that link in the show notes. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Um, and thank you for rocking with me for my 100th episode 100. of the Perfect Gram Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and so make sure next time uh, you feel your ego structure starting to act a fool and act crazy, take a deep breath, pause, and do it for the gram and make a better choice. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. <laughs>